Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, let me sit down. Can I just say something to you? Can I just start the show by saying, DPD, the delivery company, I bloody love them. They're always on time. The drivers are always lovely. This isn't an ad, by the way, everybody. This is not an ad. Uh, we have got lovely DPD delivery drivers around here. There's this app they have that texts you exactly when it's arriving. If you want to change it or change where they put the parcel, they always get it completely right. I've just had a long old gas with the delivery driver who just dropped something off. It's lovely when things work, isn't it? Is it not? Welcome to your DVD appreciation podcast. It's not about queer life anymore. We've changed it. That's that. So thanks for everyone who's listened up until this point. Guess what, by the way? This is our 200th episode. Can you believe that? I didn't know that. Someone told me that. So uh, I need to double check. I never thought we'd get to 200 episodes. And it is all because of you listeners that we have. We are nothing without you. We would be shouting out into space if it wasn't for you. Because you have all come back week after week, sent all your emails, sent all your messages, interacted with the post, or even sent nothing. You've listened every week. That is how we are able to stay on air and have become a family. And I cannot thank you enough. So if you've been listening from the beginning or you are a brand new listener, Thank you for tuning in. And if you have been listening for the beginning, we want to hear from you. Write in hello at homosapienspodcast.com or even not from the beginning, we're pretty near. Let's hear from our oldest, um, oldest, not, we're not going to age shame. Let's hear from our uh, longest serving, God, that sounds like prison, uh, listeners. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Write in if you've been listening from the beginning. We'd love to hear from you. 200 episodes, people. So it's 200 hours roughly, which is four solid days of speaking. <laughs> four solid days. No wonder I'm knackered the whole time. Now, other things that mark this week is it's Gender Fluid Visibility Week. Brilliant stuff. Gender fluidity, my favourite thing. Gender fluidity, hello. Our guest actually is along the lines of gender fluid. They actually, I'll tell you all about them in a second, but they identify as gender queer. And yesterday, it was also National Pronoun Day. Hello, everybody. My pronouns are he, him. Today, we are going to be talking to someone called Asani Armon. Asani is a musical artist 
and an activist who is the founder of not one but two incredible organizations that are transforming the lives of black transgender people in the US. The first one is called For the Girls and it raises money on behalf of black transgender people to help them pay for their rent and gender reaffirming surgeries through throwing parties. Now as it's Black History Month it's actually incredibly relevant because the inspiration for these parties to raise money for black trans people are inspired by the Harlem rent parties of yesteryear where there were terrible landlords in Harlem in New York City and the black communities used to throw and and beyond I think used to throw rent parties to raise money for each other to pay their rent and Asani heard about this and was witnessing all the stuff that was going on among the black transgender community and thought I could do a version of that to raise money for rent to raise money for gender reaffirming surgery so it's just a beautiful thing to be doing. Then Asani also set up a record company called Siren Empire Records. And it's a record label specifically for black queer transgender artists, including Asani. What this is about is somebody who has fought through adversity to do incredible things. It's a great conversation. I just felt light on my loafers after I'd been chatting to Asani. So I can't wait for you to hear that. That's coming up. Have you heard our episode with the brilliant William Hansen, etiquette expert? Very funny chat. In some ways, we barely spoke about etiquette. We just had a right old guess. Uh, keep emailing us, hello at homosapienspodcast.com or, or on Instagram at homosapiens and tell you what you've been getting up to. Send us anonymous agony uncles and you can get in touch. Just say hi. Well, so many of you just say hi and send us stuff and I have to say thank you so much. We read them all. We really appreciate it. It's really lovely to talk to the community at all times. Um, I also will say a very exciting piece of information. Public service announcement. P.S.A. Klaxon, please. The new Homo Sapiens t-shirts are here. They are brand new. They've got an amazing new design. There is only one way to get hold of them. It's with Review of the Week. Go to Apple Podcasts and write a review of the podcast and then we will read out Review of the Week. You can own your very own t-shirt if you are picked. Those are the rules. So head to Apple Podcasts, review the show and you could get yourself the brand new incredible Homo Sapiens t-shirt. It's funny, it's witty, it's clever. Once you see the photos, it will all make sense but it is absolutely it's your summer wardrobe. Summer wardrobe, winter wardrobe, looking right back at you. That's all I'm going to say. Now, on to missives from your good selves. Uh, we were asking all, for all your thoughts on Madonna's coming out TikTok video. Anyone who doesn't know, Madonna's on TikTok. Uh, Madonna the singer. Uh, I don't know. Someone might not know. She did this video. She threw a pair of knickers at a bin. It said, if I miss the bin, I'm gay. And then she missed the bin. She looked down the camera and that we were all meant to infer that she was gay. So we just asked everyone what everyone thought because I I personally just found it a, a slightly confusing thing because is Madonna coming out? And if so, Madonna has done so much for the LGBTQ plus community. It's incredible. Um, I sort of wonder why... I suppose my question was like, why would she be elusive about that? You know, and she's been such a supporter, like go on a wormhole of Madonna sticking up for the queer community in YouTube. And it, she's just done incredible stuff for so long. 
So, yeah, I just felt confused. Anyway, so I thought I had to ask you a lot. So Corey said it was a publicity stunt. Love Banana Rama said pure attention-seeking. Not sorry. Okay, Madonna fans, don't come for us. Microfilm says I need proof. Tokyo Dandy says thought she'd have better throw than that after a league of their own. Very droll. Love that. BBC Dracraton um, said, following that Mick Jagger book, it's been quite a week for rock and roll queer icons. Alwyn, sorry, dropped a lighter that I'm holding. Not because I'm smoking, because I use it to light a candle in this own incense. Very into burning incense at the moment. Alwyn said, I thought she was out as bi plus in the 80s or 90s already. I mean, I also, by the way, sort of thought that as well, Alwyn. Edwina said, I hope it's not just yet another reinvention of herself. That would be hurtful to others. Thanks for that, Edwina. I agree. I hope that's... I mean, ha- when was Madonna's last reinvention? I suppose it's actually current sort of TikTok phase, isn't it? Hmm, confused, says Pickwick. Does buy count as gay now? I did not... Say, it didn't say queer, no? Hmm, interesting. Good point. Uh, she's a pioneer. Remember her book, Sex. Madge likely isn't limited by gender. Maria Rick said, God, I hope so. Alan says, do we need to talk about it? She is key to most gays being gay. Well, amen. Uh, AC in the city said, made me wonder if Madonna is queen of the queer bait for many years. Hmm, I don't know about that, you know. I don't know if I think she's queer baiting. I think that it's, I I think I, I just think it's strange. I don't know what she's trying to do. I think we all sort of thought in a lovely way that Madonna was a bit queer but sort of didn't give a fuck and then doing that has made me been like, oh, but maybe that is queer baiting. Apologies, don't know why. I've reversed into that, haven't I? Well, AC in the city, I was wrong. Uh, Emma got in touch, which is very nice, about um, the William Hampson episode. Hi, gorgeous Chris. Hi, gorgeous Emma. I hope you and your family are well. Do you know what? We're doing okay. Zero cold count at the moment, which is a win. I just listened to the latest podcast of William and Hanson and thought it was a really lovely chat. He sounds like he's doing some really great work with his etiquette, particularly around pronouns. It's really nice that he's doing work around pronouns. Also, because we need people out there in these etiquette books. We need it written down, committed to paper. So we enter the uh, the institution, I suppose. We enter tradition. It's so important. So many people still don't get it, and it's great that he's trying to teach people about how to use them. Another listener suggested getting Anastasia on the pod. Yes, they did. And I wanted to suggest Darren Hayes to you. I'm just listening to his new album, Homosexual, and since making it was a really special part of his life. I'm sure he'd have lots to talk to you about. Yes, Emma, because Darren Hayes, when did he come out? I did know all of this. You know when you feel like you know it all and then you don't? Lots of love, Emma. P.S. Please share your recipe for apple crumble if you make any. Well... Emma, I can give you my recipe for apple crumble because it's Delia's recipe. Do you know for why? Because it's really easy. And I love it. Making crumble is just easy peasy. So Delia Smith, it's free on the website as far as I know. What I'll often do is I'll Google and I'll sort of use BBC. This is for all recipes. BBC Foods, I'll use that as a basis. Then I'll Google Felicity Cloak because she does a whole thing about the best dot dot dot. The best apple crumble the best lasagna lasagna or lasagna people what's your take i was always a lasagna kid i'd say lasagna until people used to just guffaw at me and say i sounded ludicrous and now i've become a lasagna guy anyway and then i'll use delia as and jamie oliver as a thing um jamie oliver i don't have the patience for a lot of his amazing stuff love him but yeah i'm too impatient 
Speaking of being impatient, hey listeners, I feel impatient to go and talk to Asani. Interesting that actually Asani is making queer black history. So a very cool time to be talking to Asani. Let's go have a listen. And of course, first off, we're kicking off with a good old deep dive on Moving House because it's not all about activism. Sometimes it's about what you're doing with your drapes. Asani, we've got to get straight to it. You're Moving House. Talk me through that because my favourite thing in the world is Moving House. I must have moved 50 times. It is my least favorite thing in the world. This is, <laughs> this is move number seven and eight. So I'm doing two moves at the same time. And so it is, it's, it's a little bit disorienting, but also it's just a sign that things are going very well because everywhere that I'm moving is an improvement for where I'm in, from where I am now. So I'm super thankful for that. Um, I'm moving from my apartment to a home 10 minutes down the street. Um, and then for the girls, the organization that I run, we're uh, opening a, a smaller headquarters space, like a, a newer headquarters space that's probably about oh, wow. 35 minutes from where I will live. And so we're kind of orchestrating both of those moves at once. So it's really cool. Wow, that's so exciting. Congratulations. I mean, Thank you're you. doing so much exciting stuff. I just... <laughs> I love it. Talk to me a bit about queer culture in Brooklyn, because, you know, for the not that I go to New York very much, but for the past 10 years, when I go to New York, we end up in Brooklyn for like good <laughs> queer nights. Um, but there's still those um, institutions in Manhattan, like Marie's Crisis um, Club coming. Is the cock still open? I don't know. I've never been. I've, of course, I've heard of it, but I've actually never been. And so I have no idea if it's still open. I would like to think that it is. But I feel like the more people move into Brooklyn and then that's going to expand. And like, you know, I, I really hope people continue to go to those spaces in Manhattan as well. And Manhattan doesn't become this kind of sanitized thing. But is Brooklyn your place to, to hang out if you're looking for a good queer night out? Um, honestly, I think it really depends. I, I think that Manhattan has a very uh, particular hold on the queer scene, and I don't think that it's mm-hmm. going to go anywhere ever. Um, I do think that it's going to shift a lot, because I do think that a lot of people who party in Brooklyn also party in Manhattan and vice versa. So I just think that they're both going to really be influencing each other, impacting each other a lot. Uh, but I think it, for me, I like both. Like, I, I definitely go out in Manhattan sometimes and I also go out in Brooklyn a lot. Usually, um, actually, all of the parties that we've had for FTG, with the ex- exception of one of them, have been in Brooklyn. So that's really home based as far as our organizing and party efforts. And we've done one in Manhattan, but we're hoping to expand that more into Manhattan in the coming months and years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, uh, since we're sort of semi talking about it already, let's continue. For the girls is your, it's it's a club night as the <laughs> Brits would call it, but it's also like it's a movement. It's a thing where you're raising money for transgender people to get reassignment surgery. You know, it's a many headed beast. Is that right? I think that's the perfect way to describe it. It is a club night. Um, we throw parties and then the ticket sales that we get from the parties we use to put towards people's affirmative surgeries, their rent, um, and other things too, like with medical like procedures and uh, doctor's visits, therapy visits, co-pays, et cetera, et cetera. At its essence, yeah, it is a club night. It's like any other club night 
that you would go out to in Brooklyn or Manhattan if we're in Manhattan. It's very fun, lots of drinking, lots of partying. We normally have at least four DJs. Sometimes we go up to six or seven. We collab with other um, with venues or with uh, party collectives as well. And so it's it's really just any other club night. I mean, it's fab. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing time. But um, we just take the money from the ticket sales and we put it towards helping people. It came from that Harlem Renaissance tradition of throwing red parties. Because when I was trying to figure out how to help two of my friends who were both struggling with paying their rent and they both were being served eviction notices, um, I was talking to my therapist and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to help these people. Because at that point, I had probably, that was during the, my, maybe my second year in Brooklyn. No, yeah, my second year in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. I had lived in a small apartment I had two roommates. There was no way that I was going to be able to help either of those people like with actually housing them. Um, and it just kind of fell on me in therapy, like the thought just to host a party. This was around the end of June. So the 4th of July was coming up. I knew that people would be outside wanting to party and hang out. Um, so I text one friend and asked them to help me make a flyer. I, I text another friend and asked them to let me use their rooftop. And I put the flyer out and you know, ask people to start sending in the money and send tickets for tickets and the $5 that they donated or more would help grant them entry and help provide free liquor, et cetera, et cetera, for the, for the party on someone's right. roof. That tradition came from, I think, me reading kind of simultaneously and also while I was in college reading um, about like Langston Hughes talking about rent parties and other also famous um, writers from that time and artists making pictures of red parties. A lot of the party paintings that we see from that time are like from people's parties in people's apartments, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of learning about black people in the uh, in Harlem during that time having to literally throw parties at their different apartments in order to help other uh, black people in those apartment buildings. And so, I think that that's really where the thought came from. Um, and then I just kind of implemented it again here. Wow. And it was sort of based around really discriminatory landlords, wasn't it? Who yeah, were, were they t- specifically targeting the black community in Harlem and overcharging them? Yeah, I think the very predatory landlord pricing and redlining made it so that black people had to live in very distinct parts of New York City. And I mean, really most of America, but in New York City specifically, redlining efforts made it so that black people had to live in very particular parts. And then in those uh-huh. particular parts, landlords could do discriminatory things like charge them exorbitant amounts of rent while also not really actually taking care of the 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 places that they lived in. And so you're paying a lot of money at that time at least for where you're living and you're also living in squalor. And so black people had to kind of turn to their neighbors to figure out how to keep people housed because really the whole point of these redlining policies is to extract the money from you if you cannot, uh, if, if you choose to stay in this place and if you can't afford it, then to kick you out so that you're homeless and so you go somewhere else. And so this was one of the many ways that people showed up for each other during that time, absolutely. It's so interesting to hear that because you go, you know, ever since... I was first ever looking for an apartment and, you know, I've got friends who moved to New York. So let's use New York as the example because New York is crazy expensive. You know, a lot of queer people move there to try and find other queer people like them. 
And what you end up doing is having to live in these prohibitively expensive places that you'd like, you never would want to, you know, you'd, you'd literally pick anywhere, which is why lots of people went to Detroit, because it was cheap, right? But you know, like, it's, it's really interesting, that whole thing you're describing, really, really works to be grabbed in 2022, or whenever the year you started it, and do it for queer culture. It's so clever, like, I can't believe no one had done it before. It, it's it's you know the the discriminatory policies even though they're not necessarily blatant now they still they still impact people to these days and to the to this day rather and I mean that was the same back then it's the same back then as it is now I mean black people queer people black queer people <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah we all kind of are facing the brunt of what it looks like when capitalism is rampant and working just as it's supposed to, which is to make housing a a thing that we feel like is something that people uh, aspire to get. We, we look at housing as something like you get a great house or you get a house that's safe and well maintained if you deserve it because you work a great job or you deserve it because your family has a lot of money or you just happen to come across a lot of money. You know, we don't really look at housing as something that should be like, you deserve a house to over your head because that's where you deserve to live because you deserve to be safe and you deserve to have a place to be protected in. And because we don't look at housing this way, we then get to have a lot of discriminatory policies about who deserves to have a good, safe home. Mm. And so... Here's you setting up these parties to raise money for your for your friends to, um, you know, have affirmative surgery and look after their rent. And, you know, you didn't just think it, you did it. You got your friend to make the fly, like you say. You, you went through with all of that. And it's just a beautiful, amazing thing to do. And I'm, I'm sitting here wondering... Did anybody help you in that way ever? Um, with paying my rent? Or just to express yourself, I suppose. Oh, yeah, totally. I want to say, I mean, I don't think I've ever had to tap anyone to help me pay my rent. I kind of, it's it's kind of one of those weird savior complex things where you help people, but you don't like to ask for help. So uh, just, right. because, just because people don't have never, never stepped up to do that in that way doesn't mean that I've mm-hmm. never needed it. I just... I've always tried to figure out other ways to do it. But Okay, well but I'm gonna pause you there for one second. If anyone wants to pay Asani's rent, it's hello <laughs> at homo sapienspodcast dot com. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no. Um but I mean, no, I definitely have had help with various parts of my life. I mean, building this organization to what it is now, it would look nothing like it is now without the fabulous team of people that I've like amassed over the last mm-hmm. I want to say a year and a half. Um, so, of course, with FTG, the work that we do here, it just wouldn't be possible without all the people who have donated, all the people who have shared posts, all the people who have come to parties, all the people like you who have literally stepped up to interview us and talk, talk to me and talk to other people on the team about what the work that we do, the people mm-hmm. who actually, you know, support us, and then, of course, the people on my team who make the day-to-day happen. It's it. I have swaths and swaths of help um, so I definitely would never believe that, you know, I did all this on my own. Absolutely not. And what about home for you? You know, when did you move to New York? Because you grew up in Atlanta, right? Correct. I moved to New York in 2017. Uh, I graduated college in 2017 and skipped graduation and went straight to New York. 
And yeah, I've been here ever since. So I moved here when I was 20, that was five years ago, so 2022. And what was life like in Atlanta? Um, I would probably say a little difficult. I have four sisters and one brother, um, and I'm only really close with maybe two of them. Um, but my family life was pretty difficult considering that we had two parents who were addicted to substances, right? So Mm -hmm. quite difficult growing up in Atlanta. And then of course, add on the fact that it's the South. And so it's, I always say that even if you are not necessarily someone who goes to church very often, um, you are surrounded by church views, Southern Baptist church views, even if you aren't raised or going to church very often um and so add that on to the fact that i'm clearly queer (laughs) and so um and trying to run from that identity on top of all that stuff it was it was quite a difficult time so i I, interesting i look back now fondly on atlanta and and those first 18 years of my life because it clearly helped form my ideas around community and the need to support people and the needs to show for people um but Back then, I didn't look fondly on it. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I wonder if you feel that if you've grown up in a situation where, you know, you've had people in your family struggling with really difficult circumstances, you know, like substance abuse and addiction of any description is this vice-like grip over people. And my heart goes out to anybody who's battling that. You know, I think addiction is very clever and it will always try and get you. But do you feel that because if you're growing up in that circumstance, that you therefore feel from a young age that you are trying to help people trying to fix things perhaps in your home life as well as what you're now doing with for the girls and all your other projects yeah absolutely if and and also really probably trying to run from helping yourself i think you're also predisposed to kind of also becoming addicted to something if you are not like you know very steadfast and trying to not be super super involved in whatever substances are constantly kind of present in your life but i absolutely think that i absolutely think that that kind of upbringing um, directly ties into the work that I do now, 100%. I think it, it goes hand in hand. I think, I mean, I also saw my parents struggling with with housing and housing security and that type of stuff, right? Like I, I saw that kind of struggle uh, firsthand. 
Um, and it, it's not till I really got to, to read about how this was not just a family thing. I think, I think also because kids are cruel and kids are also we're prideful and boastful. We're not going to be very, I don't think, at least not in my case, we weren't very open about what we did or didn't have. And so you, I guess, in a, as a child, I looked at it very individualistically, like this is my family. Why are these things always happening to my family? And it's not until I really started mm-hmm. to read that I realized that this is a structural thing. And this is a thing that impacts a lot of people, a lot of black people, a lot of queer people, a lot of trans people. This is a thing that was actively designed to impact a lot of people. Um, and so it was not just my family. It was most of the people living in that apartment complex, actually. That's the reason that they were living in that apartment complex. And like, you know, it's not just my family. It's a lot of people at that school. And it's not just me. It's a lot of Black people. You know, when I started to really realize that and just when I really started yeah. to think, and think intentionally about how we actually can go about trying to redress some of those societal ills. Yeah, you know, the system is stacked against certain people from the word go it is really interesting when you said you kept it to yourself because i think that what's really interesting about being queer is that if things are going all right for you you can find your people and you can be yourself with them and you know you can try and get rid of some of the shame but weirdly with money like people it's still such a shame laden thing and it doesn't seem to have changed at all. You know, I would say maybe even more so now, if you're young, you've got to have a lot of stuff, you know, to feel like you fit in. And I think that that ties in so much to, especially when you're talking about queer people, if we are taught from a young age to be ashamed of who we are, um, yeah. we kind of start grasping at all these little things around us to make people love us. We think that if we have money we think that if we have the nicest car clothes apartment we have the nicest job we have the nicest jewelry we have the nicest this, that, and the third and actually we will manufacture the love that we deserve from the jump because we are still mm-hmm. running from that shame i think so I, I think that that's a really interesting point i think that we we kind of try to cover ourselves and manufacture things because we try to have to manufacture love because we mm. we have been taught to actually not love ourselves. We've been taught that we are not worthy of love unless we can cover all these things up. Um, even so far as like what us, our intellect, I can't remember the artist, but this artist, um, this artist and writer came up with this theory called the best little boy in the world syndrome. Um, oh. And he um, was talking about, and I, I We'll have to Google to find his name, but I, it always rang in my ear every time after I read it. It kind of always rang in my ear when I'm thinking about these conversations because he specifically was talking about growing up, knowing he was queer and seeing him, how different he was around everyone around him. He knew that he had to be the most behaved, the best, well, the most well dressed. He had to be mm. the, the the smartest kid in the class so that he would be the best little boy in the world. So if people ever found out that he was queer, they wouldn't, it, they wouldn't love him any less because he had all these other things to offer. And it's like, you shouldn't even have to worry about these things. You should just, or even worry about being loved less. You should just be loved. It's such a big burden to put on yourself from a very young age, isn't it? Very much so. Talking about the kind of kid you were, were you in this kind of very religious um setting where you out and proud knew exactly what you were or did you have to leave Atlanta to find the person you know you are 
Uh, it was all those things, except for out mm-hmm. and proud. <laughs> except for out and proud. Um, I definitely was in a super religious setting. It wasn't, and it again, like I said, I in the South. Even if you are not raised in the church, you still are kind of raised on like very church based Southern Baptist, Southern Protestant, whatever values. So having moved back and forth between living with two substances, addicted parents, uh, mm. neither one of them were very heavy in the church, but mm-hmm. still believed a lot of what was written in the Bible, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that kind of back and forth, uh, attention of not, of not living the right life, but also still believing what, what is preached to you in the Bible and what's preached to you in churches. So to that point, I think that I grew up on a lot of Southern, deep, deep Christian values. And that impacted a lot of like the way I viewed myself. I knew from a very young age that I was queer. I knew from a very young age. I knew very early on that like my attraction to certain people was very different than the attraction that other people were discussing. And it was a lot more nuanced. Like I, I, I tell people now that like I, I very much so identify as queer. I de- very much so identify as being able to date love people across the gender spectrum and I knew that back then like I do like girls but I also like boys (laughs) so but Mm -hmm. then that was that was weird right because then I'm I'm also hearing boys talking about liking girls I'm hearing girls talking about liking boys and I'm somewhere in the middle like interesting um Uh and then as I kind of got older I started to realize, okay, well, there's also something weird here with this gender thing. These clothes don't feel right. I can't mm-hmm. get comfortable in any of this. And like, I like a lot of the artists that I looked up to, a lot of the musicians that I looked up to, a lot of the musicians that I primarily found myself listening to were women. And there was a simultaneous like crush on these women while also being like, I kind of want to look like you. I don't know why though. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I say all that to say, I, those were always kind of the thoughts in my mind. And of course, n- was never really able to express that outwardly, even though literally, if you talk to anybody who's known me for more than 10 years, they will say, like, it was very obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And so I ended up leaving uh, Atlanta in part because of wanting to get away from my family and all of kind of abuse that came with living in in the household that I, at least one of the households that I lived in and also then being able to finally really realize and self-actualize who I was um so it was a little bit of all of that of that that you suggested and I'm aware life is a fluid thing and nobody has to pin themselves down to anything is from where I'm standing but I ask the question because I feel that one of the things that this podcast does beautifully is people listen who don't think there's anyone else out like that out there like them and yet there always is. How how do you identify now? Yeah. Um I really just said that I'm queer. Um when it comes to at least sexuality and attraction, I said that I'm queer. I think that it's just an ever shifting thing that's moving back and mm-hmm. forth and it's never really static. And then when it comes to my gender, I always just said that I'm genderqueer. Uh, I'm not quite a man, and I don't think I ever will be. I don't think I ever was, and I'm not quite a woman. I don't think I ever will be. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever was. Uh, but I say genderqueer because I think that 
just like my sexuality is a static. I mean, it's never the static thing. It's this thing that's always moving. Um, Beautiful. So. Yeah, beautiful. And then, but for the girls is, am I right in saying that is kind of a specifically a, a safe space for black trans women or am, am I wrong in that? Wrong. <laughs> no. Good. Um, okay. No. no. Um, so one, yes, we absolutely are a safe space for black trans women. I absolutely, a hundred, a, a good portion of my friends are black trans women. One of the, the two people that I originally helped with the, the fun, like starting it off, you know, the party that we first threw was for a black trans woman. So we absolutely always center black trans women in, you know, the ways people hurt and harm trans people, particularly black mm-hmm. trans women. We're always kind of thinking about that when we're curating the spaces we curate. But that being said, from both the party perspective, but also who we help when we are dishing out funds through donations, et cetera, et cetera, we have black trans people across the gender spectrum. So as long as the person identifies both as black and trans um, at the same time, then, you know, we, they are eligible for help and can come and, you know, and can come to the parties. And also, even though we center and are always actively intentionally thinking about how black trans people are impacted in these party spaces and making sure that the party spaces are good and fun for them, the parties are open to, to anyone. So we, we, the parties are, especially depending on the location we use, the parties are always a very, very, very um, different crowds. Absolutely. And they mm. all just kind of gel together. I hope when I come to New York next, you can take me. You need to come. You have to come. I would love that. Um, tell me a bit about Laced Together. Another beautiful idea of yours. Yeah. It, actually, I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> so Laced Together was started by a dear friend of mine, Julissa. She actually was one of the people who was doing my makeup. Uh, uh-huh. and it still does my makeup from time to time, but she's just very busy. Um, but she's an amazing black trans woman makeup artist and she's just uh, overall very talented artist. She can make hair clearly. She can do, uh, she does designs, just very, very, very multifaceted, multi-talented artist. Um, one day while she was doing my makeup, she was like, you know, one, my actual dream is to make wigs for people. I really want to make and style wigs and I don't want them to have to pay for them. I would like to just be able to do them and send them out to people who can't really afford them because, Mm. you know, with hair care is so much, people don't really think it's so expensive, but people don't also think about it in the way that, and for what it really is, it really is affirmative towards people's mm. genders, right? Like the way that we, the types of hair, the way hair looks, we associate with people's gender um, and their presentation. And people don't really think about it like that, but it doesn't matter if you're a cis man, it doesn't matter if you're a cis woman, it doesn't matter if you're a trans person, your hair impacts the way people view you, the way you view yourself. It just is, it just is a reality that mm. we live in usually. And so she was like, you know, I really want people to be able to afford really good quality hair uh, that's affirming for their gender and not have to pay for it. And so that got the wheels turning. And I was like, well, we could just, I could just pay you to do it. So the rest is history. She came up with the idea. She, she sources the wigs either through donations that people send to us or like we have different vendors who work with us now as well. Um, and then she updates them to make them look much better than they did. And then she sends them out and then we pay her for that work. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. It just makes my, it's just so, it, you, you're saying about it, affirming is so true. You know, it's such a missing piece of the puzzle that is behind a big paywall. You know, like yeah. it's really hard to get hold of that kind of stuff without 
needing money, you know, yeah. and lots of it. And the last thing I'd love to talk about is just tell me about them records, which is a, a space for black transgender artists, right? And that, yeah. that's another thing you're doing that's going really well. It is perhaps my most uh, rigorous undertaking, but my complete soul-bearing love child thing. Uh, wonderful, because it's also your music. Absolutely. My music is definitely a part of it. Um, and we actually changed the name very recently from Them Records to Siren Empire Entertainment. So that's okay, S- nice. S-I-R-E-N Empire Records, um, which... A, the the reason we changed the name is because we wanted something that it, it more directly represents the people on the label. Um, black black cultures across the world, especially like black queer cultures, we they always have some type of like mermaid history. We always have find a way to. Mm. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, you can find stories about mermaids. Um, and one of the more famous, at least black queer trans names that we use for mermaids is uh, sirens. Um, mm. And sirens are these really beautiful mermaids who attract people and, and, and allure them in with their voices. And then when they get close, they suck them in and they never were able to return to the to surface. Um, and so I thought it would be really cool. And I and Sergio, who was the co-producer, Sergio and I came up with that label name together, Siren Empire, because we were like, how cool would it be to be a, a, a kingdom of these sirens who, who make this beautiful, beautiful, alluring music? Um, Love it. And then also S-E-E. Siren Empire Entertainment breaks down to the the acronym SEE, which alludes alludes to the all seeing eye and intuition and all knowing and all these great things that I think that you know we probably all practice here at the label. So we're super excited to just be hitting the ground running with with new projects. To to go back to your point, um, it is a label that we are intentionally censoring back chains artists because you know again like the crux of the majority of this conversation, right? A lot of the discriminatory practices that that are found in housing are also found in like the art world. And I think that for so long when it comes to black trans artists, you can you can look at someone and 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 find out that their makeup artist is a black trans artist, their hairstylist is a black trans artist. But never are and there's nothing wrong with that because the majority of my Every person on my team, with the exception of maybe two people, are black trans artists. So I would never, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's a bad thing. But we don't get black trans artists being able to be in the forefront. We don't get black trans artists being able to be out and proud, loud musicians. And we don't get black trans artists being out and proud, loud dancers who are who take front stage and get to be the out and proud DJs and stuff like that who actually get to take yeah. world stages, right? Shout out to Honey to John for being one of the first. But she and she's been she's been clearing it. It's been amazing to watch her her do it. But there are not a lot of that, us that are able to be able to do that. And we want to be intentional about really providing that opportunity in that space. And so because the music is is amazing. It's not just you know corny. Oh my god, mute, corny music. You know, it's really amazing music and i think people will see that with the the release of these coming projects and the things that we have coming up people will really see what we have to offer the world and that's that's what i'm super excited about it's it's been the most it's been a very rigorous undertaking but it's been so rewarding (music) 
Rewarding indeed. What an incredible person. I really hope you liked that chat. Um, I'm actually going to New York and I'm going to call Asani and say, please God, take me out. Take me out. Take me uptown. Let us know what you thought of that. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Instagram at homosapiens. At homosapienspodcast on Facebook. Questions, it's it's comments, it's agony uncles. Agony uncles are anonymous listeners until next week thank you again for being the wonderful listeners and if you've been here since the beginning i am sending you so much love and thanks and if you're new thank you for listening what a great episode you kicked it off on there's 199 left to go and have a look at or listen to actually it'll probably be more useful thanks so much for listening and see you next week 